My name is Dimitri, and I'm a productivity and minimalism enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and ethics enthusiast. And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets philosophy. And what it means to build a better life. Enjoy the show. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Rise Productive Podcast. In today's webisode, we are talking about the world of income inequality. True, true. That is what we're talking about. We're talking about the wealth gap. We're talking about income inequality. Very light subject today. Very light. I mean, I don't don't actually know. Is it even worth talking about? Is it even worth talking about? (laughs) No, we can only talk about fun and, you know, super frivolous things. (laughs) So to to the ease the tension before we to get into this deep deep conversation, uh, how's your week been? Been good. Um, I actually just got back. I just flew in back to Chicago from Louisville, Kentucky. The old uh, the old the old uh, roots, the old stopping grounds. Went to go see the grandparents and um, caught up with a friend from middle school as well, which was super eye opening to see how our trajectories differed so much. It, it's crazy when you get outside of Chicago and realize people have other perspectives, but it was refreshing. Would you care to just reiterate how to say where you're from just for the, for the listeners? Ah, so a lot of people will say it's Louisville or some variation of that. And actually even on my flight to Louisville, someone was like, yeah, everyone thinks it's Louisville, but it's Louisville. You really got to swallow that first syllable. I think it's sad that the world has a lot of these isms uh like i mean we're talking about like people say illinois sometimes Mm -hmm. people say i mean well i guess even people from chicago go chicago and i'm like dub bears and like that's the thing i don't know it's just it's weird that these things happen i mean it showcases our differences and in like a cool and fun way but also like when people say things like bagels i i i i just don't know what to do (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is culture. I definitely appreciate the differences, but sometimes it's like, like when that guy corrected someone on the plane, it's like, okay, we don't need to be uh, rude about it, you know, just explain. It's like the, it's like the, um, you've seen, you watched Seinfeld at all? Mm-hmm. The Soup Nazi, it's like, come on, dude. Like, <laughs> he's just, they're just trying to get like, they're just trying to get some mildly specific stuff in their soup in comparison to what you're trying to make. Like, let's not make it a huge deal, all right? Exactly, exactly. Let's not get too mad at it. You know what's funny? Um, speaking of Seinfeld, uh, my work, so like the the head of the company where I work is a big Seinfeld fan, right? <laughs> CEO's huge into Seinfeld. So things in the office, including meeting rooms and like office appliances like the printer and stuff, they're just named after uh, different Seinfeld things. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. Who's uh? What's Jerry named after, or what is named after Jerry? I believe it's the printer. I'm not 100 percent positive. There's like Jerry, George, er, and um Elaine right next to each other to the left of me, and I can't remember what's the what's the printer, what's the copier, and like you know, it's just like all right there. And I I glanced and laughed. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear the line lo- of reasoning for these assignments, these name assignments. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, CEO is really great. He's he's uh pretty funny guy i i and then when i saw, like saw all that stuff in there i was like yeah this fit this fits the personality uh and then there was like i mean i'm not going to say the password but i mean like the wi-fi name is festivus mm. <laughs> yeah 
So it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's funny stuff like that. It's been, it's been a good time. I guess uh, tangenting into like my life or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, going to ask. Started work. Yeah, started work. Uh, I think I told you, did we talk about last week how I was remote? Like, did I talk about it on the podcast? Yeah, you had only been remote. And I believe now since the last recording, you finally have gone into the office. Yeah. Great place. Really cool. Um, I never want to get it too specific. Obviously, like my LinkedIn like shows where I work or whatever, but I, I don't, I'm not going to get like, you know, uh, but like it, it's really, it's really cool. Um, office is great. People are great. Um, classic, like excessive amount of snacks and, and coffee options situation. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, dual monitor setup with like stands and stuff. And then like I get a little laptop scenario going on the left there. And um, I have that closed though. There's like a setting you can put where like when you close the lid, if it's powered, you don't, um, it doesn't like stop your computer from going. That's the option I went with. I didn't want to have a three monitor setup. It's just like mildly excessive in my opinion. Sure. Uh, they have a very similar keyboard to like this one that's like there, which is nice. Um, and then like I bring this bad boy everywhere I go. So oh. I, had, I had to do it. I had yeah, to do you it. had to do it to him. Dude, I mean, like, I, I just, like, immediately, like, I remember, like, one of my coworkers was, like, we're going through something in Excel, and I just started scrolling, and it, like, started free scrolling, and they just went, is it? That's pretty fancy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's Yo, did he bring things. his own mouse to work? Yo! Although they did give us a one that is a silent click mouse. Oh. Which is, like, kind of, I, I think for an office setting, like, that's not the worst idea I've ever heard. That's actually pretty solid. Yeah, that would be solid for Zoom too. Just because I know with a lot of my classes, I would, I was one of the only people with a mouse because if I had my self unmuted, everyone would know if I was like, you know, dual screening it and like secretly looking up the answer or what have you. Not to say I'm cheating, yeah. but yeah. And also, like, there's like this part of me, and and this is something I guess we can talk about a little bit too. Um, like, dude, I've come to terms more and more over time with my toxic productivity and. Like for me personally, I can name you so many times where like I would have been on the phone with somebody and I probably could have, if I had this silent mouse, gotten away with doing stuff on my computer. <laughs> oh, that's you know, terrible. That'd be so terrible. But like, like that's where my mind goes sometimes. It's like, ooh, silent mouse. It's like I can multitask. Like I can do like very basic tasks while like I'm on the phone with somebody. <laughs> but like, but like it's more rude if they hear the clicking. But like, it's yeah. it's I don't know. That's that's where my really sad mind goes. That's awful. Yeah. Now you got all you gotta do is get over the uh, the whole fake responses because the whole uh huh yeah oh that's crazy. <laughs> I know that's crazy. I think the problem here is, and I don't know if you've noticed it, but like. Or have you heard of the phenomenon? Uh, it's like in psychology where you can manage to actually, if you weren't paying attention, remember the last like three to five seconds of what was said by a person. Oh, really? Yeah, like it's in your subconscious. It's like mild. It mildly has to be like utilized, and you have to know it's there, and you have to like, you know, make an effort to like reach that really quick. Mm-hmm. But I'm really good at that, <laughs> and like. People, I don't know if people realized it. I guess I'm telling everyone on the internet, but like, I'm very good at that. Like, I, I will not be paying attention. I'll be like, oh, yeah, you said this, but like, it's just all in the back. I got to look up the phenomenon in psych, but th- it's a thing. Very interesting. I think I do so that, that as well now that I think about it. Yeah, I think everyone <laughs> can do it. It's like a normal, it's just like, 
I do it a lot. And yeah. I get, I'm, I think I've gotten better at being sly about getting away with it, but I got to like work on the whole interpersonal thing and not being like a swine or whatever. Being a little more present. Yeah. Not thinking about work all the time. It's, it's, it's a problem. Shame, shame, okay. shame. Shame, shame, shame. We even talked about hustle culture last week. When, when will when I will ever learn? When will you learn? When will I learn? When, <laughs> listen, Dimitri, when will you learn? And you know, it's actually been pretty good. Um, said goodbye to running last week. I'd like to, to say rest in peace to running um, in regards to like track. Mm-hmm. Um, got a little bit of a, the old sinus infection, uh, kind of kicked my butt. And I said, hey, that race I was training for, a no go. Not, not worth it. I think it's important to... I think it's as good as it would have been for you to do that race. I think it's important that you just kind of stepped away and closed that chapter, you know, entirely. Because if it's one race that's, you know, closing out the collegiate career, then it's like, when will we close this chapter, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think it was like a the world's way of being like, hey, buddy, you got to shut it down. Yeah, let's take a step back and, you know, reassess yeah, this next chapter. Exactly. and I And I got like a lot on my plate, you know, at the moment. And it's like... I got to figure out that, that transition at some point in my life. And there was like a lot of really fun stuff last week where like I hung out with my coworkers for a little bit afterwards. My buddy from, um, my buddy, one of my buddies who had moved to Indiana had come in town to say, what's up to another of my friends who's moving to Texas. Um, and it was just like, I don't know if I would have been able to make those things happen if I had been like so strict on my sort of like running regimen. Um, or whatever and i'm just i don't know it's like it's like this kind of freeing and nice thing and it's it's kind of weird at the same time because the olympic trials are going on sure sure yeah which is really exciting yeah it's like so exciting and i love every minute of my mom's like and i was watching it yesterday when i was supposed to race and my mom's like you're kind of being really tough here with like the whole you know you were supposed to be racing today i'm like you know what i love track like i don't think i don't think you know it's it it's not binary, you know? It's not like if I can't do it for myself, I can't, like, why? It's it's different. Oh, yeah. You can you can be a fan and still uh, a athlete in the sport. Those don't, I think, those don't coexist. No, and I think if anything, like, having the time to not always be so focused on training because there's, like, an excessive amount of hours and, like, mental and physical things that you need to do like eating better is obviously important for your general health but like i said no you you remember i said no all the time to like Mm -hmm. stuff and it was just like it's going to be nice to like take a little bit of that mental pressure off and then let myself enjoy the sport from an outside perspective and just be a real big like ncaa track nerd and then like watch diamond league meets which is something i've always wanted to do but never made the time for because i was so busy like trying to train and stuff sure yeah that's a good point yeah i can be finding time to appreciate it in other ways Appreciate the sport in other ways. Yeah, man. Did you see uh, Rye Benjamin yesterday? Yeah, crazy. Holy. He's a dog, man. Oh, so yeah. Good. I can't wait to see, um, and I don't know if it happened yet, so no spoilers, because I, I, I think I recorded it. Uh, Sidney McLaughlin v. Delilah Muhammad in the final with the 400 hurdles. Oh, yeah, I have not seen that. Okay, yeah, but I... If, I if you're aware, both of them are like the two fastest women of all time. And Oh yeah, of course. I mean, Sid- I know mostly about Sydney being from Kentucky, yeah. but yeah. And she jogged to 53 yesterday and the world record is like 52, 16. Like she's mm-hmm. walked it in the last 30 minutes. I was just like, what the actual yeah. disgusting. 
disgusting such good stuff anyways into the topic of the podcast i feel like that was nearly a not overthinking level of of talking about real world (laughs) stuff um we're going to talk about the wealth cap income inequality all that sort of uh high level scary scary stuff to talk about i feel like it's uh it's something that i wanted to break down with you because i don't know last week i was just thinking like to be blunt I ran by um, my school, uh, my high school that, um, fun fact, my high school since closed, random tangent. Um, mm-hmm. My high school's closed, so that's always weird. Like I go to the track and do workouts there sometimes. And um, at the track, across the street is a Bezos building. Um, there's an Amazon f- fulfillment center that got put in there. Oh. And due to that, I went, Bezos building, Bezos building, money. Too much money, intimate inequality. That's a good topic. That is a good topic. That is that is a good way to, to spark up the topic, I believe. Yeah. Because um, I don't know. I think one of the the biggest things, just hopping straight into it here, is sort of the I don't know if it's a hatred. That might be a strong word because Amazon does have its great perks. Like it was just Amazon Day, but I yeah, did yeah. hold out on buying anything, and I think that one of the big things that Amazon does to perpetuate this is get you away from a lot of local business. I think that until, I mean, probably in the past year, I became a lot more aware of this, but just like something as simple as like buying from like a a local bookstore, like I'm not saying like Barnes and Noble, like Barnes and Noble, if that goes away, I don't really care, but there's a couple black owned or locally owned bookstores in um, the Chicagoland area. And it's like, yeah, how easy is it for you to just like buy an ebook or just buy the book on Amazon for half the price? And it's like, well, is it really worth buying it for half the price? You're really not helping out the situation if you do. You know, it's interesting. And I just had this weird sort of thing because, uh, you know, we're, we're going to talk about this. Uh, do you want to talk about the Dave Ramsey clip? Later? Oh, I would love to talk about this yeah, <laughs> Dave was, Ramsey that clip. Was, that was just, that was ridiculous. And, uh, but like, I just, I just realized I had this bit of a, bit of an epiphany we we watched or did you listen to the ted business podcast that i sent you i did yeah i actually was trying to find more podcasts and there was a i listened to the first clip that they used from that woman i forget her name yeah yeah. but um the -hmm. black woman who is the um financial consultant i believe yes yeah i listened to that and then i listened to the the longer one that you had sent me from ted and they just clip that entire thing in so i listened to it twice and i listened to the rest of it obviously once but that was a really nice podcast i think it offered good solutions both macro and micro yeah and i just had this bit of epiphany when you're saying that thing to be about the whole um you know you got to be uh you got to be helping out small business and and like black owned businesses if you want this sort of income inequality to become better um and it's interesting because we watch this dave ramsey clip where he essentially kind of he talks about how like inequality is fair because uh, mm-hmm. and he breaks it down more of a, as a meritocracy sort of situation where like if you work for it and you earned it like it makes it's more fair than if it was like equal because not everyone would have worked as hard as you to get where you're at which i don't i personally want to get into like the whole um um what's it called equality versus equity situation which he which that was a seven-year-old clip granted so that, that was before that was like talked about which is kind of ridiculous right um uh, but it's interesting because Dave Ramsey is a personal finance guy, right? And Dave Ramsey and any sort of person who would tell you to do textbook personal finance inherently 
textbook personal finance increases the in- income inequality because while it may be like the right thing mm-hmm. to go with like the small business and stuff for for you know to help with income inequality it is it's those like marginal like bad financial decisions that you make that then add up to like you having worse income a worse income situation do you right. see what i'm getting at here i'm not like maybe i'm not fully tying the knot but i kind of I, I hear what you're saying here it's like um it, it it's it seems disadvantageous to go out and order that cup of coffee even if it is helping out a small business because i don't yes. know any self-financial guy would tell you that you just need to be you know brewing coffee at home and saving i don't know hundreds of dollars per year most likely yes and not only that are you not contributing to others you're you know in a position most people who are listening to self-finance or productivity people i mean there's a clear bias here where it's like you have to have some certain level of access to the internet and like a certain level of education in order to you know even utilize these tools or think to seek out these tools of information and that's only going to perpetuate that gap where it's like these people that already have the right of entry are just gonna you know get further and further away from those who don't exactly that's that's a very good point you made there as well as as furthering this um people who are then you know inadvertently just trying to make the cheap decision i don't know like i i would say it, it is it is more of a last generation thing to have had like a sort of like pick yourself up by your bootstraps and it was more reasonable um like from a like a european like um i don't know like european immigrants who like went through the great depression like right when they got here and then like they learned good financial discipline through the situation right Mm -hmm. they then were the ones that like you know could have maybe picked themselves up by their bootstraps and in that same token though well they're they're the ones who are are doing great work for themselves it's just interesting how this how this like is hitting in my head of like if you want to make the right financial decision for yourself you should go with folders but then at the same in the same token the only companies that have the ability to serve you really cheap coffee or serve you really cheap products are companies with economies of scale and that inherently means that you're feeding into the bezos machine which Precisely. inherently is like negatively affecting you while positively or negatively affecting not only you, but your peers who are in a similar like lower socioeconomic status than Jeff Bezos or like the big, I just, I like, I'm trying to do this to like mess with people. Cause like we bashed on bill that one time, <laughs> but like, I'm not, I don't really like, I have like a huge problem with Jeff. You Bezos want Jeff Bezos I'm, to be the punching bag this time? No, I don't really like, it's fine. <laughs> he's a, he's an interesting dude. Um, mm-hmm. but like, just for example, like this, just like a rich corporation in general, let's generalize more. Uh, it's interesting how that works. You know, like if you want to put yourself in this fi- uh, financially advantageous situation, you are feeding the machine that is big corporations. Well, so which in the long term, you know, is that good for you? Is it not? Because later I'm going to have some opinions on like my thoughts on like how capitalism works and, and affects the poor in general. But I don't know. It's just weird to think about. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's like, it's a tough game when you are feeding into the Amazon deals. Cause like you said, it isn't helping you clearly. You're clearly augmenting a wealth gap, which if you're someone who feel like it doesn't matter that the wealth gap is increasing. I think the biggest argument for me was that every one of these podcasts or papers I'm reading that is talking about this wealth gap. It's like the last time it was this large was the roaring twenties. And I was like, Oh, perfect. The party that didn't stop. 
<laughs> nice timing. That's pretty great. It's like, yeah, that, that's... If we're on the... If this is some looming sign of another recession, then um, that, that might be someone that anyone could care about. But there's the other side of the coin where it does seem like the the good productivity, or not productivity, but you know, self-financing thing to do would be to buy something that's half the price and just give your money over to Bezos. Yeah, and it's it, it is just this weird situation that's coming up, and I find that I found that interesting very much so about the because um, I remember that reference being said about how like the income inequality hasn't been this bad since the twenties, um, but like you know, and this is interesting, and I know uh, Dr. You know, on the team who just graduated with me, Dr. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he references the movie Margin Call a lot. He and I like yeah. the movie Margin Call. I've mentioned the movie Margin Call to you. But there's this very interesting scene that happens. So essentially Margin Call is a movie about uh, a company who during the 08 crisis realized that the collateralized debt obligations that they had on their books were worth nothing before everyone else did. And then they caused a fire sale, bringing the market to immediate collapse. Mm-hmm. And the CEO is talking to the head of trading at the company after it happens and the head of trading is basically having this sort of like moral dilemma of like, I want to be out of the company. You know, we just caused like this huge problem. Like, this is awful. Like, I can't do this anymore. And the CEO is just like, I need you to stay on with me for like a few more years. Okay. And he's like, do you know what we just did? He's like, this is not different. This is this, this is the same thing happening over and over again. And he rattles off like 15, like either recessions or depressions, like in regards to like times like 1885, yeah. 1910, 1912. And he just like goes on for like, for like a 45 second, like just spit off of it. And I'm just like, dang, you know, we do keep doing this to ourselves. We do keep like extenuating the problem and like making it a bigger, it's like this, like shrink, collapse, shrink, collapse, shrink, collapse. And then like during that process, the people and where they're located, it gets bigger. But he was making this weird argument that was like, there's the same number of, sad sacks and and fat pigs that there ever was there's just oh, more of us now and yeah. i'm like no this is this is like the embodiment of like how maybe the one percent are like kind of out of touch with the situation yeah see and that's where i just lost dave ramsey because he would be like oh yeah like you know i was a i wasn't the most intellectually bright person but um i was a b student i just i just work harder than everyone else and it's like the kids next to me would get F's and it's like, well, you don't even question like why someone gets an F. Like, does someone have family problems? Does someone not have time to do homework because they got to work a job to support their family? And it's like Dave Ramsey probably didn't have to do these things or worry about these things. He was able to focus on school and live like a quote unquote normal kind of childhood to where he was able to outwork people, even if he wasn't the most bright. It's like, that's where you lose me, man. Yeah, and there was a sort of situation, and I don't know his background uh, too well, but there's a situation where he mentions in the podcast that he basically had gained a fortune, lost a fortune, and gained it again by 30 or something to that effect. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel like there is a certain level of inherited privilege there to where like you you were able to like fall off a cliff and then come back. Like I feel like those in similar circumstances with less, less responsibilities or like financial... Um, financial tolls on them you know like financial situations where like the money's just going to keep getting sucked out of them without the ability to like get the money back and then reinvest and get a fortune again that's that's something that was definitely messing with me 
when when he said that i was like man i just don't know if some of the less um the more impoverished and and you know downtrodden communities in america or in the world you know can really like i guess we're probably gonna focus primarily in america here but like i don't know if many of the downtrodden people in the united states could could fall into that i think there's this there's this weird level of i don't know it happens when i talk to some people who are older as well um and I'm not going to act like I, I'm not privileged or whatever, but I try mm-hmm. to be aware of that and aware of, of the lack of, of not cultural, but the lack of, yeah, maybe culture. I don't, I don't know. The, I want to word this the right way. Basically people sometimes are growing up in situations where the last thing on their mind is financial security in the sense of being steady with the money and like making the long-term decisions that will set them up for like having, you know, a two and a half million retirement by the time they're done by putting money in their Roth and their 401ks and putting money in the S&P. Like that's just not, that's not there for a lot of people in certain communities, you know? And it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't get why we're yeah. working under the assumption that it's, it, it, I don't get why we're working under the assumption sometimes that like, why are why don't people know these things? It's like, yeah, I don't think I think I think there's a real big issue when it comes to some of these situations where people think that personal finance is inherited through you being born like you just are born and know like I just think that's a ridiculous notion. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you make a really good point about how he had lost all that money and then even regained it. I mean, the the sheer fact that he would lose a million dollars after gaining it and then somehow gaining it again shows the lack of, you know, financial knowledge unless this, I mean, I don't know anything about Dave Ramsey besides this video, but (laughs) I would um, imagine that this is something where it's just a lack of financial education and he lost it all somehow, unless he made like some big financial risk that was decently well thought out. It's more likely the case that he (laughs) was being, he's just financially ignorant and yet he was still able to accumulate this massive wealth by quote unquote just his you know hard work and effort and it's like you know there's a lot of people on the other end of the spectrum with that same financial illiteracy because for no one is it you know like you said it's not inherited with anybody but everyone should be able to have access to that education there's a lot of people who don't have access to the education nor the resources to ever accumulate some kind of million dollar wealth exactly and you know what's interesting and uh the guy so uh kw the guy we just went to the wedding of uh Mm -hmm. kw you know big um city planning guy obviously uh we had like many discussions about this uh during college because i did a research paper on digital deserts Mm -hmm. are you familiar with that term is it like a food desert but for yeah pretty much uh, okay. essentially a digital, I, mean, I think maybe a definition would be good here, but, it, um, a digital desert, uh, is essentially like, um, maybe I'm, is that not even the right word? That'd be so depressing if that's not the right word. Anyways, basically, um, there are situations where people grow up in, let's call them digital deserts. And it kind of sounds, makes sense when I'm saying it out loud. Like mm-hmm. there are people that grow up with the inability to access the internet to the same effect as like we are you know um so is this another product of like redlining um you know i i don't want to go that far 
I want to I want to actually go in a different route because um, there are some times where I feel like I have to hedge during this podcast, right? And um, and I don't know if I want to do that here, but anyways, uh, I'm gonna make a make an argument against the whole the whole personal finance thing from a different perspective to maybe like try to get some of some of the more stiff minded thinkers you know, to, to agree with it be, uh, because, um, to be blunt, rural people are more likely to be white. And if we go sometimes from a race perspective, some people just turn their brains off, um, because they're, because things that they don't understand make them uncomfortable. Uh, trust me, I saw that this past weekend. I bet you did. Um, like respectfully that happens sometimes. Some people, when they hear like the race conversation, they get uncomfortable and they don't want to listen. Um, so let me go from this, this route. Explain to me why, you know, people, who live in rural areas um, don't have uh, the sort of uh, they they have there's digital deserts out there right basically there are there are different societies that are more rural where they don't have the access to the information to really expand their wealth you know a lot of people who grow up in rural areas will never become successful financially and obviously there's a bit of a caveat I want to make here because they don't have to deal with um, a lot of the issues that happen in like urban scenarios uh, or even suburban scenarios where there's expectations of getting out of certain scenarios as well as cost of living is just higher and you can't live off the land. So mm-hmm. I just want to say that they do have the different situation where they're able to live off the land and that's kind of the way their families generally do that in rural areas right so they're sure. they're fortunate enough to that have have that situation but just taking that away from that if they didn't have the opportunity to live off the land in that scenario and their cost of living was higher i want to make the argument that the crime rate situation in those areas would be the same if it's just like because like people get you know people get broke people get scared people bad things happen right and i'm just right. saying i feel like it's it's like this weird thing where people make it about race. It's like, well, why don't they just like learn or whatever? Well, one, they don't really have access to like the internet in the same ways as people in, you know, rural areas don't. However, people in rural areas are able to, you know, and they have societally for years lived off the land. They don't have to worry about the cost of living being high because everyone owns their own land and it's just inherited from, from generation to generation. So that's what I was trying to go with there, trying to try to give another perspective and go back and forth to further the point of like, there is a there is a bit of a inherited wealth issue here with race um you know uh there there's like something to be said about the fact that like house appraisals have just been you know ridiculously affected um race wise you know the study oh, yeah. in the in the mid 2010s even where uh Houston suburb was seeing like a 20 or 30% disparity between uh the appraisal ratings of like houses between like the white and black people like living in that suburb and i'm just like really like still like this is ridiculous right exactly rant oh no i i hear you and yeah i mean the the thing with me is just like looking at all the research i mean there's just a huge racial elephant in the room and it's just it's it seems to be a larger portion of the the conversation than it isn't i mean i i hear the part that you're saying where it's like a lot of people in rural areas do not want to talk about race when they're talking about economics because they just, I mean, they give you a million reasons otherwise as to why it is. And that's exactly why we're in this situation, right? Where it's like this disparity, but. Oh, I don't, sorry. I just, uh, just to say something real quick. 
I, I don't even just mean the people in rural areas. I was actually trying to like mm-hmm. shove that in the face of like suburban people, like, like privileged suburban people. That was, that was kind of who that was ranting. Rural at. is standing in for, I don't know, more can, I don't know who would disagree, but I guess more conservative minded perhaps. Yeah. I mean like this is more of a, like there's a level of like conservative minded people who are in suburbs that, you know, are kind of annoying when the subject comes up just to be blunt. Yeah, absolutely. Not all. And I, I don't know. It, it's like when you look at that TED Talk podcast and they, they keep emphasizing this point about how average wealth for black families, including all assets, 17,000. For white families, 17,100,000. It's like, that's, that seems to be a clear indicator that there this is a racial issue here. Yeah, and you know it's interesting, right? Um, and this is something I want to make a point of, and maybe I'm maybe I'm going too far, like extrapolating out some logic here, right? But mm-hmm. why is it that, from a standpoint of you know, like you know, white America can understand this? Someone started with more wealth when it comes to like you know, like a Rockefeller family or something like that, um, or someone who just in general had like a million bucks, let's say in the 1920s. And as time's gone on, they've been able to compound that money and make more out of that and spread it afar from them. And now they're just like lower middle class Americans and they're annoyed about it. But then when like that same scenario is brought in with like, hey, we didn't let people like this, this like ex- this segment of people like one exist as human beings in our society for like the first 150 years of the country. Yeah. Uh, and then two, like another 100 years, we had Jim Crow and stuff and then like they were allowed to like vote and like then like their house appraisals have been like evened out in like the last 15 years like why is that hard to like do you know what I mean like what what's the what's the disconnect here why is it like bad why why for you is it like I'm annoyed with the fact that the Rockefellers have had money since the 20s but like when someone makes it about race and they're like oh why are you making it about race like you've been you've been like free for 150 years like but finances compound yeah like what yeah that is it is interesting that people are envious of um white families that are sitting at the top and i think part of it is um this whole idea of like the american dream right it's just like you become so envious and i think that we're not critical of the top because so often it's like oh but what if that was me what if it was me who ended up making like um five million dollars like i don't want the estate tax on me if I end up making $5 million, like I don't have that, but like, what if I died with $10 million? Like I would want my kids to inherit this, like without any kind of taxes on my assets. It's like, okay, well, boo hoo. Like if you do, like you're not there yet, you know? Yeah. And you know, and, um, to maybe even get away from the, the race thing for one second is, is like, you know, it's crazy. I'm like going into budgeting and stuff like with my own finances. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I have my, my salary coming in. Um, I'm not allowed to put money into my 401k from my salary for a minute, but like, and that happens with a lot of companies, but in regards to like, you know, putting money aside one, I got to go home and live with my parents after college. Like not everyone gets to do that. Like doesn't matter on race. Like that just doesn't happen all the time. Like I'm very fortunate in that sense. And then I grew up with, you know, a family, very close family member being, um, in financial management. So or financial advising. So it's like, like if I don't acknowledge that level of, of dude, it's like a, it's just having like a finance wiki, just like in your house, like, yeah, God. when you said that you were just like setting some things up, I was just like that. I'm I'm very jealous because I don't have that resource. I, and I, 
and I'm fully aware that that's ridiculous, you know, like the fact that, for example, when going through like this car situation, like, um, learning about situations of, of like basically the APR on my car, right. The APR financing on my car was going to be like three and a half. Mm -hmm. But if I, one, because I'm privileged enough to have like, be able to live at home, have the salary I have, all that sort of things, have the resource in my home to tell me basically I'm like going to bump my payment up like 75 bucks a month and then it'll cut the interest rate in half because like the person knows like that essentially, you know, you pay it off quicker, obviously a loan. Well, I shouldn't even say obviously, cause I'm trying to make a point here. Like when you, some people don't know, like you, you have a loan go for a longer period of time, you're technically paying more money. And if you then have like the requisite funds, like later on, you could then use that to like put it in the S and P and then make more money. It's like, wh why are we not like what? Like, I know that, but why is this, like, so uncomfortable for people in, like, certain situations that are similar to mine to, to like, acknowledge that that's, like, that's a real thing. Like, this is this is saving me, like, thousands of dollars. And then, yeah. like, we'll and then come into, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time I retire. Yeah, and that's just not an intuition for a lot of people. I mean, that credit, there's just things that they're not second nature to a lot of people. And without that education, obviously, you're not going to be able to be there. But I also think that I think before researching for this episode, I did think it had a lot more do to do with just education. But when it's she made that point where it was like, even though you have seventeen thousand dollars, like there's not a whole lot you can do being educated with seventeen thousand dollars. It's like there clearly needs to be micro and macro change from those at the top. And I was um I was wondering what you were thinking about this actually I have two questions one i guess is kind of in light of the uh effective altruism episode that we kind of talked about but do you think we should be mm -hmm. more focused on a global closing of the gap or more of a national closing of the gap not only for you know the betterment of ourselves but in which situation do you think it would be more effective to help Okay, so this is mattering on how I think I would go about the solving the issue. Are we working to the assumption that like the 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 world's going to exist for like a few thousand more years with global yeah. warming and everything? Yeah, okay. and when Before, I say the effective altruism thing, let me just make it clear: it's the whole idea that you're giving ten percent of your wealth to the most pressing needs, either depending on your scope. So if your scope is global, yes. the ten the most pressing needs of the globe. Like, or the nation. Okay. I would go global because, I don't know, if you, you know, I was talking about the uh, whole thing earlier about, um, like, compounding finances and stuff. I feel like if you helped Don Trouton, like, countries in general, you know, that's going to compound eventually into them becoming, like, economic powerhouses similar to the United States. While they are delayed by, you know, like, a certain, certain amount of time in comparison to us, mm -hmm. I think you know, a country like India or something that's like got a ridiculous sized population that's behind economically. If they caught up, I mean, think about the things that they could do for the world. Exactly. Yeah. They're, four, I, they're like four X our population. I absolutely agree. I think that the technology that will come from India, Middle Eastern, African countries could really just lift, you know, the bottom or, you know, the bottom half of the American economy up a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great if the whole world, the whole globe, I mean, the globalization is like happening more and more. And uh, I think 
There's nothing absolutely wrong. inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely inevitable. And I don't think it's it's a bad thing to like want better situations to happen for them. I don't know. Like when we had the, the financial crisis in 08, like that was a global problem. You know, um, people weren't able to pull out their money in other countries when AIG was like having problems. So yeah. I don't because everyone bought insurance on AIG was pretty, I don't know that, that whole thing is <laughs> intriguing to me uh, but like the OA crisis is not I was going to say great but like I don't know one of the most intriguing things that's ever happened maybe we should talk about that one time uh, I think like and this is something I want to get I wanted to get into in general it's like I have a very I don't know if it's a radical opinion but I have an opinion that that's interesting considering I just went on like this whole like pseudo rant about like why don't why doesn't white America get that there is a racial component? I will say the only benefit to being a capitalistic society in this circumstance is that the extremely rapid growth of an economy has benefited the poor. And that if we were in more of a socialist society, poor would mean a worse thing. Like is, they would be living worse lives. Yeah, that is actually a really interesting thought is like, because we live in a capitalistic society, we are advancing so quickly. It's like if we had to switch to a socialistic society and run this simulation in a parallel time frame, it's like, would the average well-being and, you know, um, wealth of the lower class, which would look better, would... Would we have lower class people that have, you know, a flat screen TV if we were a socialistic society since 2000 or 1990 have you? It's an interesting, yeah, that I always think that that is one of the better arguments for capitalism in this wealth gap debate. Yes, because like utilitarian wise, it's like, well, everyone's better off. So like tough. Uh, that's and it's like dang you know i want to argue against that but in some in some aspects of my head i'm like kind of a good argument like kind of kind of hitting the nail on the head here especially when you factor in the fact of moore's law and like or is it murphy's law i always blink if it's murphy i think it's murphy's law. law it's murphy law sorry murphy's law where like you know technologies like doubling every two years just based on the fact of where we're at socioeconomically mm-hmm. in this infrastructure that we have so it's like with that logic in mind making the argument against capitalism is difficult sometimes because it's like okay well i'm really upset that capitalism exists in some respects of like you know there is equality without equity in a lot of situations but man like the poor are better off than they would have been in an, in an alternate timeline. Like in an alternate timeline, if we're like, for example, say we get really, really caught up with like, we messed up after the great depression, right? Yeah. So let's say post-World War II, we just say screw capitalism. We're going, we're going to be socialist. Like, uh, I don't think if you look at a lot of the countries where the communist situations happened, we would be that happy if we were them, you know, like it's this weird dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause like, I think it's general American knowledge that, you know, like China bad or whatever. And like mm-hmm. Russia bad and people don't live. Is it great. knowledge or is it propaganda? Sorry. Okay. That's, that's a fair question. I don't know if I want to get into that, but like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like that's like, that's like general perspective and opinion. But then like, there's this new movement of like communism is the move or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's, you know, 
sometimes I feel like we talk on this podcast and I, I think I have an opinion and it's just like, I don't know. I was going to say, I actually want to advocate for socialism here real quick in this argument. I was, have you heard of the federal job guarantee? It's kind of gained some resurgence. No, please. Inform. So it kind of comes out of the, um, the FDR economic bill of rights or whatever that document may be called, but essentially a list of ideas that he thought would be good for the economy. And it's gaining popularity as a replacement for the federal minimum wage, because even though we are advancing so much as a capitalistic society, we're really kind of holding back when you see, I mean, a state like Kentucky, the minimum wage is still seven twenty five. Oh God. And it's like, that's, that's kind of unreal to me when you consider Chicago is at 14 and it's like, even though we've made these technological advances, there's this, you know, red tape and partisanship that won't allow people to actually capitalize on these technological advances. So instead, there's this whole idea that with federal job guarantee, you use that as like sort of your minimum wage. You say that if it's someone who wants a job, they apply, they get, you know, a minimum wage salary, but it's a livable one and you are guaranteed a job because the big issue with the minimum wage is that it doesn't guarantee hours. You could be paid, I mean, we, make, we can make a federal minimum wage of $15 an hour and then someone could hire, you know, 100 employees and make them work $10 or, you know, 10 hours a week. And it's like, that's not livable. So with the federal, no, not at all. federal job guarantee, it's guaranteeing a livable wage and hours. Oh. And for me, that's, that's got some socialist vibes. So I was curious how you, after your first taste of my little, uh, my little summary, what you're thinking. I don't know. I don't know about that. I think something I, I guess I want to say about the whole, like, they have a lower minimum wage. Um, now, I'm not mm-hmm. sure about the economics of this, but this is just more my take. I feel like sometimes people acknowledge that there's, like, a worse um, minimum wage in areas like Kentucky. Uh, and then they'll just say, like, oh, well, the cost of living is way lower, so it's fine. You know... Sometimes I, f- I get irritated with that because people fail to, un- fail to understand this simple fact. Uh, if you live in a state like Illinois or you live in Chicago and you have a higher minimum wage, inherently your ce- ceiling for uh, overall wealth is higher because your living expenses can always be reduced if you mooch off someone in your life hard enough. Right. Like, I just don't, I don't see how people don't get that. Like, oh, no, prime I example, agree. what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, you're in, uh, yeah. Living in Chicago or you're getting a Chicago salary and you're not paying for a Chicago cost of living. No, it's just like, I don't get why people don't get that sometimes. Like, there's people I know Oh, I, people even watch my videos who I said like what I made at my last internship a couple years ago. I made 20 an hour and then like 30 overtime. Like someone in Kentucky, I think actually was someone that watched my videos is like from Kentucky and they're like, what? Like that's <laughs> so much money. And I'm like, really? It's 20 bucks an hour. It's not that, it's not that big. And then I, it gave me some perspective on like, even though their cost of living is lower and such, like that's a lot of cheese. Yeah. And this is, um, from sitting down with a friend, perhaps this could be, I'll, I'll hedge this and say this could be entirely his technological ignorance, but 
Mm. when I hear about the lower minimum wage there, and then I also hear that, I mean, this guy's in the same grade as me. He didn't hear about Mm -hmm. Venmo until he got to college. He didn't hear about Uber until he got to college. He didn't even know what Apple Pay was. And it's like, he he self-admitted that he believes that Kentucky is about two years behind in terms of like gaining these new technologies. Kentucky has never seen these motorized scooters that get littered all over Chicago. And of course they're not as large of a city and not like the same pedestrian friendly setup, but it's, it's so interesting to me that you kind of in tandem with the point that you're making is that like, you're missing out on these advancements when you're not putting money towards them. And what have we learned about the technological advancements in general? You know, technological advancements are what societally bring countries further ahead. And then that, you know, at a more microeconomic level would mean then the individual, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about one of the the best things that we could do to close this gap would just be provide mobility for people. I mean, if someone has, you know, a divvy bike or a scooter that can get them out of a food desert or a redlined area or even like get them to a better paying job like yeah. giving them some kind of transportation is obviously going to be advantageous in this situation yeah and it's like for example that digital desert thing i talked about earlier right um if there's a scenario where somebody manages to get you know stable consistent you know 100 mega megabytes up and download internet um per person to like that area right and that's what we're talking about even higher obviously uh would be more similar to like a city let's say a gig up and down you know for like everyone in that area or in a rural mm-hmm. area and when we're talking about some of the some of the biggest socioeconomic booms that could happen because we're talking about people who don't have the access to like learn stem stuff in general uh they don't i mean dude like here's a situation like you know those people who like always have those dang uh digital nomad guru ads online digital nomads like that or like just the fake gurus like there's a lot of people who are like also pitching the whole like make a google ads business for yourself Mm -hmm. you know due to the low cost of living and due to the lack of you know like having anything but taxes kind of bogging you down really in those some of those rural areas and like keeping your farmland up uh for some individuals you know, like you give someone in like one of those families the ability to like learn about that kind of stuff and they just like grind away at it. I mean, eventually, yeah, they could become like insanely rich, but this is like, it just can't happen because they just don't have the access. And that's just, that's just nuts to me. But that's something, that's some place we could bridge the gap in regards to like the, the rural um, sort of issues that are coming up. Like we just, we, there's got to be a lot of really smart. Okay, sorry. There's just got to be a really a lot of really smart people in rural areas that don't have the access to information. It kind of bothers me a lot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even this the lack of infrastructure and stuff. I mean, if you look at like Mississippi, like their roads and all their systems are just terrible. And it's like you, you've put yourself in a situation where there's no solution and there's no getting out. You really can't like. I'm not saying these roads are undrivable or anything, but it's like when you build these systems where it seems like you really just can't get out, then like you, you kind of become stuck in this cycle where brilliance is just getting completely wasted. Yeah. And you know, the smartest, the person with the highest IQ in the world lives like, and works on a farm, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just crazy to me. Like that, that's a thing. And, you know, not saying like, that's not vital because obviously like that is vital to the world. Right. <laughs> But when we're talking about something in regards to like 
capabilities of things being done, right? So if, in my opinion, if something can be automated work processes wise, there's a lot of things in like farming now can be right. Or it can be worked by a, by a non insanely skilled or hyper intelligent individual. And that's not a slight on people who farm. I'm just saying like hyper intelligence, I think should be catered towards like STEM stuff. Like that's just, I think that's where my mind goes there. Our most brilliant people should be solving our most difficult issues. And I will say that there are major issues when it comes to agriculture. You have yeah, but not like the the doing. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, absolutely. Yeah. They don't need to be doing the farming. They need to be figuring out how we're gonna destroy meat. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm uh my <laughs> flexitarian journey is going pretty well, by the way. I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. that you're uh, keeping that up. I'm trying to get more people to drink that Kool Aid. Yeah. He's drinking the productivity Kool Aid. I'm drinking the vegetarian Kool Aid. Vegetarian Kool Aid tastes kind of good, actually. We'll get you drinking the philosophy Kool Aid here. I'm I'm waiting for some stoicism or some uh some Thoreau. That'd be nice. Uh, yeah, man. But like, I definitely think that a lot of the rural areas could be really served by some of our biggest agricultural problems being solved by giving them the information and access to the internet, which then. I don't know, would help them solve some of these issues on a wider scale. Because, like, all anyone has in that scenario is their wit, right? And while somebody is, you know, like, inherently really smart sometimes, that's just not, without the access to the information, it's, like, it's just a ridiculous notion that they're going to be able to do anything with that from, like, a a really big deal agricultural level. Yeah, exactly. And that gets back to the whole equality versus equity thing. It's, like, we're not even creating an even playing field here when we don't have access to technology or like you want to talk about like credit it's like how does anyone in this lower economic status start to build good credit i mean it's oh, wow. good that they've yeah, created. i didn't even go i didn't go there in my head yeah i mean they have alternative sources for checking credit now in terms of like you can check like your cable bill or like your your rent payments if you're up on those but even still i mean are we using these alternative measurements fairly and it's like, yeah, there, there's so many barriers to creating a level playing field. I, I don't want to make the point that, you know, we need to hold their hand the whole way, but you got to give people the tools in order to show their brilliance. I agree. And I just think it's like a ridiculous notion sometimes that people are like, oh, well, I mean, like they, well, okay. One, you know, we do talk about like happiness and living a good life on this channel. And obviously like... Mm-hmm. You know, if that's what they want to do with their lives, I mean, I'm not going to say don't do that. Like, it's fine. But I just think it's a ridiculous notion sometimes that, and this happens in, in our downtrodden urban scenarios too with African-Americans or, or otherwise, other people otherwise. It's like, you know, we have some pretty uh, pretty difficult situations going on with with people and we have some lack of like technological capabilities there. And it's pretty obvious that like technology and access to technology will like move an economy forward. It's like, why don't you obviously step that like lower and like understand that that obviously moves people forward. Exactly. Yeah. It just, it's just so interesting that we're just gatekeeping this when like a shotgun approach to innovation is clearly the best. If we can get the most brilliant minds that we can and cast, cast the widest net that we can, like it's going to move everything forward. Yeah. You know, it was an interesting um, process that Captain Sinbad broke down the other week. He talked oh, about... Oh, no, what was that? 
he talked about the shoot, reload, shoot approach. And this is something that he does personally. And I feel like oh. this is a, this is a very, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like in regards to government policy and like making change, we just need to start doing this. It's like you shoot and make an attempt to solve something. Like for example, he needs to go and get certifications as like a, a data consultant. Instead of studying a bunch of mm-hmm. the exam and then trying to do it and then like studying what he messed up and then doing it again, he'll just YOLO the first try or study what he messed up and doesn't know inherently and then do it again. And then he solves it in like half the time because he didn't waste all the time. Like, and you know, this sort of analogy, like being all bureaucratic about it. Then, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm being a little ridiculous here, but I feel like individuals can do that. I'm not sure about like government, but I feel like there's gotta be some level of, obviously let's not like throw a purge in there or anything, but like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like we gotta like, we got to start moving. Like we got like, especially with like a lot of climate change stuff too. Like we got to like, all right, like we, we got to get moving. Cause this is just like, it's getting ridiculous that some things haven't been solved in this long period of time. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. The, the shoot reload shoot approach really hit home with the LSAT too. Cause there's a big part of me that's just like, I'm learning a lot of conceptual things, but this test is very much standardized it, and it's, it almost seems advantageous if I just jumped in, did like 10 exams, and then learned which intuitions I lack. And it's like, of course we can't play with, you know, a whole economy and like people's lives here. But and, we and could, like, but it's like on macro, an individual level. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And like even small government stuff, Some like if every small government made moves like this, I'm not talking like, let's obviously like shoot, reload, shoot for like, I don't know. Uh, minimum like minimum wage across the country or or sort of like uh, i mean like student loan forgiveness like let's not just like shoot a bunch of money and see what happens like that nah, i don't know about that but you know yeah. like small government stuff which is like what makes real impact which you know if small governments did that across the country you know t- for the most part um you know there's higher level infrastructures that could help them if they messed up right yeah, yeah. i hear what you're saying or even on an individual level where it's like, I'm going to start spending this amount of my income towards local businesses that are of minorities. Or less talking, more it. doing, man. Absolutely. Less talking, more doing. That's what we got to do. We got to stop like, I mean, we saw it a lot of the... Podcast what? is done. Stop Stop talking, more doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I'm that, was, that was funny. Uh, you know, like, here's an example. Um uh, I guess getting back into race for a second. Like, Derek Chauvin finally got, like, thrown in jail. Like, I don't know. Like, what, what took so what took so damn long? I never get some of that red tape. I know what took so damn long, not for him to get in jail, him specifically, but, like, any police officer mm-hmm. that messed up to that egregious extent. Like, what took so damn long? Like, what is this? Obviously, like, people have been charged and stuff before, but it's just, like... And obviously some people aren't going to be happy with the number of years he's in jail for. Um, and I don't want to disrespect anyone's opinion there, but it's just like, what took so long for like anything, you know, like the, the whole Brianna Taylor thing. Why is this process taking so long for Brianna Taylor? All that kind of, I don't know. It's just, it, it's a whole thing is we gotta, we gotta make moves. I agree. Due process is definitely a real thing, but it's also like, we can get things moving a little quicker than 
Yes. 1789. I agree with you on the due process thing. I I absolutely agree with you on there. I I wholeheartedly agree with you on there. Um, If, if, you know, it doesn't, if things don't pan out, you know, due process wise, like that's, that's what it is. I'm just saying there has to be a level of like due process has been followed how many times and like, (laughs) eh, like sus, sus due process has been followed sometimes. Like, I don't know. We've gotten to this argument with some people who we know that it's like, why are we working to the assumption always that lo- that the law is um like for for a better lack of a better analogy like gospel or is is always inherently right right yeah i mean it, people think that just because it's moving slowly that it's working well and it's like well, well sometimes we could have a, a well-oiled machine that's producing you know the best work it can at a faster rate yeah it's like that whole uh the whole productivity thing, which I'm trying to pitch to everyone. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> oh, be is that what productivity is? <laughs> just be better. Yeah, just do it faster, please. Just do it faster. That's the move. Um, definitely feel like that was a, that flowed well. That was a good, good one. You know, it's been an hour. I was surprised when I just looked at the recording that we've been doing this for an hour. Um, any final thoughts before we close things out? Um, I don't think so. I think that sometimes with the the wealth gap it's intimidating to think of well what can i do of course a lot of the solutions are you know need to come down from banks financial institutions and the government and i think that that's going to be some of the biggest things that will you know pinch this gap but i think that there's a lot of micro decisions that you could make especially with just contributing to you know your local economy and helping out those who are clearly of minority or you know some kind of discriminated group i think that that's the most empowering and you know effective thing that you can do personally but outside of just donating i'm all about the effective altruism now i would love to talk about that again yeah i think that'd be it i think it'd be a good topic i agree any Uh, thoughts from you uh echoing a lot of what you just said i think us trying to make some choices on an individual basis to help you know not only our own financial well-being but the others around us because, you know, extrapolating on that, if, you know, everyone's kind of moving forward economically, it's good for the country, it's good for you, it's good for capitalism. I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I just definitely want to see this issue um, issue seen through. At least, you know, at least let's get to the point of equal equity, you know? If we want to, like, at least let's get to equal equity before we start, like, blaming people for their own situations all the time. Obviously, some people just in certain privileged situations could have worked harder. Um, but that's, let's not make it seem like everyone's at the same playing field all the time. Exactly. Let's, let's not act like an exception is the rule. Ah, that was a big brain. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to, I think it's episode, uh, 53. 53. Wow. You knew it. You're right. 53 of the rice Project podcast. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye.